0: My name is Eric Hunley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today, we're joined by Jeff Doherty. Now, this is fun because, well, I don't know, Jeff is a trial, what would you use, trial consultant, help help, pick juries, things like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, jury consultant, trial consultant, litigation consultant, it's all the same thing.
0: Okay, now, you know, in fairness, I don't know if I really have to have you on because I know everything about this. You know, I watch Bull, so (laughs) I'm an expert, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, sure. Actually, I think we're done.
0: Okay, well, hey, it was great having you today.
1: (laughs) Hey, no problem. See you next time. Yeah, Bull is very realistic. Um, Actually, you know, that's a good point because they're, um, in fact, that's one of the things that I want to do at some point is take some clips from Bull, analyze them from a real jury consultant's perspective and, and walk through, okay, this is real. This is not real. The majority of it is not real, by the okay. way. <laughs> so, um, but it's entertaining. You know, you got to make it entertaining because it's, it's drama. And if you did the real deal, there'd be a lot of tedium.
0: Sure. I, I want to jump right into one though. I never heard of it. the whole shadow jury thing. Now, I know that you you know wrote ahead of time. We talked a little bit, and you said that you do do shadow juries. Now I imagine it's not with the uh, really cool effects of them lighting up and turning green or red, you know, throughout. How does a shadow jury actually work, and is it truly effective? Because how do you clone a person?
1: Well, that's a great point. So, and you bring up a good point regarding cloning a person and trying to get as close as possible to the. Actual people who are on the jury is it's very difficult so we do the best we can we uh, so what we do is we over recruit when we're when when we're going to do a shadow jury, let's say we want five people to sit in the courtroom and act as our quote unquote surrogate jury. Mm-hmm. so the only thing that we can really do is I mean sometimes we're fortunate we'll over recruit the jury will be selected then we get the demographic information of what the actual jury looks like. And then we try to reflect that with the people that we've recruited and the dismiss people who don't look. And when I say, look, I, I'm talking about socioeconomic status, gender, ethnicity, uh, as close as possible. We try to match as much as we possibly can, what the actual jury looks like. I mean, there's never going to be a substitute for the actual jury, right. but the closer we can get, the more we can kind of trust our results Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the, it's, it's the next best closest thing to actually talking to the real jury in the midst of a trial, which of course you can't do. Mm
0: -hmm. How, how, how effective is it? It, it, I have to admit, I find it a little suspect in regards to the ability to really mirror somebody. I mean, like how accurate are these shadow juries? Are they 80%? 70 percent, 90 percent, because you could say, OK, well, we need a construction worker who is, you know, a, a kind of blue collarish. I'm guessing that's what you're doing is kind of laying out some stereotypes to a degree
1: as as close as possible. Uh, and so it it's really more about what the purpose is of the shadow jury. So a lot of times we'll get clients that they want it to be predictive. I mean, who wouldn't right? It would be nice sure. to know, well, what's the actual jury going to do? But there's no way to predict the outcome of a trial based on a shadow jury, and I would never purport to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. The most important thing, the predictive nature is we're looking for how do these folks um, understand the case? Are they confused by anything? Uh Is there – how do they feel about the witnesses? Does this witness that they just see – that they just saw – does that witness rub them the wrong way, or was he confusing, or did she – Communicate something that was unanticipated. I mean, that happens a lot of times is the witness, an important witness, for instance, will be on the stand for a day or two days. And we talk to the shadow jury and they're getting a completely different message than what was an intended. What was the intended message or the hope? I mean, and sometimes it's a key message. Okay. So if we're learning from all of our shadow juries that they were completely lost or that they misinterpreted something or that they flipped the, the information on its head because, you know, sometimes this this information. I mean, oftentimes the information that the jurors are, are, are meant to deal with is very complicated stuff. And it's usually something that they're unfamiliar with. So we're really predicting, um, not outcomes, but trouble spots, um, areas of, you know, what themes are emerging, uh, and I, and I bring up the word theme because a lot of times thematically, we, we try to help the attorneys.
0: What's a story, right? You're exactly. telling one story and the um, opposing attorney is telling another story.
1: Right. And, and we, we try to help craft those before the trial starts. And so we have an idea of what themes we want the jury to, to glean from the witnesses. And sometimes the shadow jurors are not – they're not getting it. So that helps inform the strategy – going forward in the midst of the trial. So say a key piece of information was completely lost on the shadow jury. We can have the the attorneys at re-ask or ask the questions in a different way, or maybe to a different witness to make sure that we drive that point home in a way that is understandable. So mm-hmm. that's really the utility of shadow juries. I mean, I would never, and, and it's, you know, it's an occupational hazard when you've got a client and they're paying a lot of money and they've got these people sitting through the trial, they really, really want it to be predictive, and I, I get that question all the time. So, what's, chatt- what's the shadow jury saying, and what, what's the jury going to do? And you know, what, what are, are you optimistic, and, and what's going on inside the minds of the actual jury? And I, it's it's difficult because you have to be honest with your client.
0: Is it almost like a, a dress rehearsal, or and by that I mean, if you're doing a play, you don't have the same audience every night, and. If you say something and it goes over well one night, well, the way you did it might actually be funny because it did go over, so the odds are better the next night if you do it this in a similar manner. People will also laugh at that beat.
1: Well, yeah, yes and no. So, it's, so we do something that mirrors that a little bit more closely, a mock trial, for instance. So a lot of times we get hired before the case is going to go to trial to put on a mock trial and we'll, we'll recruit people and we'll do the same recruitment process. We'll try to match what the demographics and the hopefully attitudinally also what, of what the actual jury should look like in the venue. So we always go to the venue mm-hmm. wherever the trial is going to take place. Okay. So I end up on the road a lot because <laughs> wherever the trial is, we go, right? I mean, cause if you don't start and I think back to your, your original point, the fundamental question is if you don't start with the right, if your starting point isn't correct, your data at the end is not sure. going to be it, be valuable. So you want a scientifically sound methodology so that you re, you recruit as close as possible to what the actual jury is going to look like, so that you can trust that your results are going to as closely as possible reflect what people in the venue would do. So we do mock trials that the same way, and we'll take like a, a maybe a trial that's going to last a month, two weeks, sometimes even four months, and we'll we'll pare it down to a day, two days, three day mock trial. How do you find the people
0: though? I mean, that's a, that's gotta (laughs) be a weird one. I mean, you know, honestly, I'm wondering how do you recruit the people to actually sit through a a mock trial? Because a lot of people, you know, you were called to jury duty away from our job. Well, I've got a job. You're not going to call me away from it to do a mock trial.
1: Well, the beautiful thing about it is, so have you ever served as a juror, juror before? I have. Okay, so, you know, the pay is about, what, seven bucks, ten bucks a day or something like it depends on where you are. But it's it's parking essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. So fortunately, we can pay people and we can pay them well, well enough where they're willing to take a day off work and come and do it. So Mm -hmm. we want to incentivize people so that we, you know, again, back to the fundamental principle, you got to start with the right group of people. You can't just go get a bunch of people. And I don't mean this in a disparaging way. You can't just go get a, a bunch of unemployed people you got to get people who are working, people who have full-time jobs, uh, homemakers, or whatever Whatever we expect to see. We have to reflect that as closely as possible. So you have to incentivize people to be willing to take a day or two or three days off and come and sit through a trial, a, a shortened version of a trial. And so we we take that very seriously because if we – I mean, this is important stuff. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of money is on the line. I mean, m- most of what I do is civil cases. So it's we're talking about – damages in the tens of millions of dollars sometimes sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. So if we don't start right and do it right, then the value is is diminished and it's um it you know, could could lead us to the wrong answer actually. So we got to pay the people right and and you know, people like it. People are drawn to hmm. you know, drama. courts and trials and drama and so this is a and this is a chance for them to be involved, and and also their um their opinions are valuable. So they get to see the drama of a trial unfold. They're dealing with real attorneys and a real case, and their opinion is worth something. So that that's also interesting because they feel how do you like, recruit I'm them? I'm contributing though? here.
0: How do you What's recruit? That? How do you recruit?
1: I hire a recruiting firm. Uh, there's there are firms oh. that do this, and so we're very specific. So when I'm work, when I hire a recruiting firm, I will, t- uh, well, first of all, I'll work with the attorneys and I'll do a, a study of the venue. I'll make sure that I understand what the venue look. And when I say looks like, I, I mean you know what kind of people are expected to show up at trial. And sometimes I'll even call the court and I'll get information about the types of people who end up on trials. And I'll really pare that down to make sure that I'm pretty certain that on any given day, I. I have a good idea of what the jury is going to be comprised of. And then I give those those specs to the recruitment firm. And I'm very strict about meeting these expectations. And, and, And we always, you know, again, like I was saying about the shadow juries, we always over recruit so that when we get a bunch of people there the day of the of the mock trial, we can pare it down and make sure that what we've got is as close as possible to what we think an actual jury would look like. So I I leave it in the hands of the professionals. There's no way I could do that. Um, I was just thinking – It's a lot of of phone calls.
0: Well, I was just thinking it would be interesting to um, go to the actual courthouse and when jurors are excused or rejected to pick them up. Hey, (laughs) you you got paid seven bucks and want another hundred?
1: (laughs) Right, yeah. The timing would have to be right for that too because you know it's all about – having to have these people ready to go well in advance because they've right. got to fill out paperwork and confidentiality agreements and you know we've got to send them a letter to reconfirm that they're going to show up because you can, you can imagine if mm-hmm. if we don't do that right and people don't show up and we have a mock trial and we, everybody's flown into town ready to go and <laughs> we've got nobody there so we we spend a lot of time and effort and it's expensive that's the thing i mean it's it seems like, yeah, put together a mock trial. It's easy. It's it's really costly because there's so much that goes into it. To do it right anyway. Right. Um, and I say to do it right because – so I've been doing this since 2002. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to say this exactly right, but I think there are people what I would call euphemistically – not even euphemistically, but maybe disparagingly, hacks out there that sure. they know how to put together – A conference, for instance, and they 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 know how to get people in in the seats, but they don't understand the scientific methodology on how to make sure you're conducting research correctly. Mm. So you can you can make a mock trial look like any other mock trial because you've got people in the seats, you've got the lawyers there, they're going to present all the information, you've got the AV in place. But if the person planning it doesn't have a scientific background, they could be fundamentally missing something and they construct their mock trial in a way that's that's flawed, and the results just aren't going to be worth anything. So, so it costs a lot of money to do.
0: Oh, I can imagine. And I, I wanted to go one more thing about the shadow juries and see if I was right on it. One of my problems is the curse of knowledge in the sense that I research things and people quite often to an extreme degree, and then when I'm doing an interview – they're telling me something that's old hat to me. And I almost want to say, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you have that same scenario in the sense that the lawyers all know all the lo- legalities and and what they're trying to do, so you might brush over parts. And when you have a shadow jury, they look at you like, I don't have any idea what the hell you just said to me. I, I don't understand well, what's going on.
1: Right, yes. And that's that's the that's one of the fundamental... F- difficulties that I find with attorneys is that they are so smart. I mean they're on average they're smarter than I mean despite all the lawyer jokes, you know. Sure. Which, you know, are well warranted sometimes. Smart and, but, and evil. But they uh they're smart. They're smart people. <clears throat> they and they've been living and breathing these cases and that's one of the reasons why for, for instance a mock trial is so important because the the curse of knowledge does take place with the lawyers they're trying a case and they understand these facts so intimately because they've been living and breathing it for 2 years then you put it up in front of some people lay people who have never heard of this stuff that's where we really learn okay well where is it that we're missing something key here where what what are the what are lay people i mean Can they make sense of any of this stuff? And if not, what do we do? It's not their fault. It's Mm -hmm. our fault, right? So we have to be really conscientious about, okay, who is it that we're, that we're talking to? I mean, who, who is the audience Mm. and to respect the audience and where they're coming from. And so hopefully by the time we get to trial, we've overcome that piece of it so that the attorneys and the witnesses, because a lot of, a lot of what I do is witness preparation. And that has a lot to do with how do you communicate to a jury? Right. I mean, you could say the, the exact right thing and testify perfectly, but if you don't testify in a way that the jury understands it, worthless. Mm-hmm. So by the time we get – if we're doing a shadow jury, by the time we get to trial, hopefully we're not dealing with that and hopefully we've gotten to a point where the witnesses can communicate effectively to the jury and the shadow jurors – are at least understanding what they need to understand. Now, granted, I mean, there's always going to be misunderstandings and confusion and and difficult stuff because a lot of of times technical stuff that just nobody's typical lay people just aren't familiar with. So, I mean, it's a problem, but we try to make sure that we preempt that before we actually get to trial. And that's, uh, and that's our job really to do. And if, if we don't do it, it's, It's shame on us, basically.
0: Well, cool. And I actually want to roll into witness prep because that was something that we were going to talk about was, you know, what's a good interview or a bad interview or what's going on. And as a bridge, because I'm doing an interview right now, this is one kind of interview. Witness interviews are another kind of interview. And on your site, um, a recent video, you went over somebody with uh, Tucker Carlson. I think it's Erica Close. Or Eric right.
1: Yeah, and something like that. I think I mispronounced her name in my <laughs> when I did the video, but yeah, it's
0: She's a salon uh, owner who right. um, essentially reported Speaker Pelosi for going in during quarantine. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put the little clip in later, but the first question out the gate you said, that's a bad answer. Right. So, so can we go into why that's a bad answer?
1: Nancy Pelosi claims on camera that you orchestrated a, quote, set up to entrap her into getting her hair blown out without a mask. Did you?
2: No, absolutely not.
1: Yeah, yeah. If I And if I remember right, I, I won't remember exactly what the question was, but it was something like, did you set Nancy Pelosi up? Right. Yeah, exactly. that's what she no, was. I didn't. Yeah, she says, no, I didn't. And then there's a, a little space of dead air. Right. And, you know, for and, you know, I'm always thinking about people testifying and communicating in the in the deposition scenario mm-hmm. or at trial cross examination, direct examination for an interview. Of course, then I'm sure you're familiar with that as well. You ask somebody a question and they give you a one word answer. You're thinking, okay we're doing What do I do here? now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. This is supposed to be engaging. I mean, fill the story right. in for me. I want to hear more about what happened or what you did or didn't do so that's why I, I felt like her first answer wasn't good but when I think about a deposition it was great because one of the one of the problems that people fall into when they're when they're being deposed and for for people who aren't familiar with what a deposition is it's testimony under oath that the parties gather before they actually go to trial and you know that saying that you know as an attorney you never ask a question you don't already know the answer to sure. right? So they know the answers because they've already spoken to all these witnesses and so, and these depositions they last one two three four eight eleven twelve two days I mean they they last gosh I mean I've reviewed some of these depositions they're eleven hours long
0: and so they're they know, wearing people down
1: <laughs> right and they're <laughs> learning and they're learning so they know exactly what that person's going to say because it's all you know their are court reporters there they've taken it down word for word so the attorney knows this witness if i ask him this question will say x so the problem that people get into when they're when they when they're deposed
0: mm-hmm.
1: they 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 treat it like it's their time to tell a story right but but it's not because what happens is the more you say in a deposition the more ammunition you give to the person asking you the questions to use as to to use against you. Mm -hmm. So for a deposition, if somebody says, did you do X? No, that's great because now the attorney's left with, okay, I've got nowhere to go with that. But if you say no, and let me, uh, let me explain to you what happened. I did this. And then I went over here and did this. And you got to understand the scenario and everything you say, they're going to lead you down some rabbit hole. And ask you more and more and more and more questions, which doesn't help. You're caught co- as as a as a witness in a, in a deposition. That doesn't help anything. The lawyer is not the audience, oh, so the lawyer is not the decision maker. So you'll never convince that lawyer of anything other than you're going to be a horrible witness at trial, and they're going to put you up on the witness stand and make you look bad.
0: Amber heard the um, video one. Is that maybe an example of this?
2: Any time prior to May 22, 2016, did you ever commit an act of domestic violence against Johnny Depp? Calls for legal conclusion and irrelevant, but go ahead. Do you understand what I'm asking you? No. No? Yes, I understand what you're asking Okay. And prior to May 21, 2016, or May 22, 2016, Is it your testimony that you never committed any act of what would be considered domestic violence against Mr. Depp?
1: So what was interesting about that short clip was, so I'm not a, I'm not a lie detector specialist. You Mm -hmm. know, there, I I know you interview a lot of people who deal with body language and lie detection and, uh, identifying what cues are indicative of lying behavior. Right. So I don't detect lies, but what I do is understand what jurors think is lying behavior. And so my, my role is to help witnesses understand how to communicate in a way where the jury isn't going to inadvertently think that they're lying based on some body language cue that the jury picks up on. So if you if you notice that clip, she was looking all over the place during the sure. while the question was being asked. She's, her eyes were darting one way. They were darting the other way. She was fidgety. She was... She was exhibiting all the all the types of behavior that I've heard over and over and over from jurors that means she's lying. So I so one thing that I do is I interview jurors when when cases finish. So mm-hmm. say a big verdict comes in, the attorneys call me up. Hey, we got this verdict. We need to know what happened. Will you please call the jury? And I'll we'll put together a kind of an interview protocol and I'll I always ask about the witnesses. And it's amazing to me what witnesses do that jurors interpret as lying behavior. And and so in that clip, she exhibited like every tell that jurors think is indicative of lying behavior. It might not be. It might be just because she's nervous, you know, looking around.
0: That's actually a great point. And I'm glad you brought up and framed it as such, because the truth is a lot of looking around and stuff is not indicative of somebody lying necessarily. There are a ton of, you know, mistells tells. And, you know, shifty-eyed, it's even part of the vernacular, people interpret as such, or if the nose is itching and they're scratching too much, oh, they're lying, and that's where Pinocchio possibly came from. But the truth is, it's not necessarily relevant, but because of what you do, it doesn't matter if it's relevant, because to the beholder, you have an audience, you have a jury, if your jury thinks they're lying, you're doomed, so I, I find that kind of a neat meta level of whether somebody's actually lying or being truthful is irrelevant. If they're being perceived as lying or telling the truth, that's what you're seeking.
1: Spot on. That's exactly right. And it's unbelievable how well and so maybe take a step back into like jury psychology. So when hey, you've probably heard this before, everybody wants to get out of jury duty, Right. And <laughs> and I get asked, you know, when people find out, well, what do you do? And I talk about, well, yeah, jury psychology and the psychology of law. I, I, the way I describe it is it's where law and psychology meet, essentially. Mm-hmm. So everybody asks me, well, so how do I get out of jury duty? It, which is interesting. Most people feel the same way. They just don't want to do it. It's, a, it's an imposition on their time. I mean, they've got full time jobs and so on and they just don't want to do it. But an interesting thing happens once they get selected they're in, and they're totally committed, and they want to do the right thing. So what happens is, so they, they're they're confronted with a scenario where they're dealing with something like a domestic violence situation here, or they're dealing with a uh, somebody who's claiming that this corporation put out a product that harmed them and gave them cancer. Mm-hmm. It's serious stuff. I mean, it's and they take it seriously. I mean, I, I've talked to hundreds, of, maybe even thousands of jurors, and. Ninety eight percent of them, I feel like took it 100 percent seriously and ultimately at the end, we're grateful to have served as jurors. But so what happens is so they get selected after the whole jury selection process and they're they're committed at that point. They're in They're They're they want to do the right thing. But what they're confronted with is two parties. One is saying one thing and one is going to say the polar opposite. And they know that and their job is to figure out who's Right. Right. So what they do is they became hyper, they become hyper focused on things that will help them solve that problem. Cause a lot of the content of what's going to happen in the trial is they're going to miss a lot of it or they might not understand it. They may, might not know what the facts themselves mean, but what they do understand in their minds anyway is body language and people. And so they, they become hypersensitive to things like the body, like what you talked about, touching the nose, sure. scratching the head, shifting in your chair, uh, looking around, not maintaining eye contact, looking up to the left or looking up to the right, all these things that people have historically thought to mean that somebody's lying. I mean, mm-hmm. how many times have you, when you're a kid, look at me when you look at me, when you tell me, oh, yeah. you tell me that thing, because it's supposedly, if you can't, you can't look in somebody's eyes when you're lying, you'll, you'll, you'll avert your eyes. But you know this, I mean, uh, you, have you talked to Joe Navarro? Not yet. Um, okay. Trying to. So. So, so we've we've communicated a, a little bit, and um, because I am so focused on this this idea of lying behavior and what it is, mm-hmm. and the problem with the fact that jurors think that they can identify liars, but they really can't, so they misattribute behavior as lying behavior and then somebody who may be telling the truth is deemed as being a liar so we we, joe and i've gone back and forth a little bit um communicated a little bit about these lying tells and he's you know one of the things he says is there is no pinocchio effect Mm -hmm. there's no one you've alluded to that already there's there's no one tell that 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 indicates that somebody's lying but the popular culture somehow has taught us that there are these things that can be um, indicators of lying and jurors believe that, and I don't know if you did you ever see the show um, lie to me Sure things like lie to me and other pop culture you know pop psychology this has, has bled into to culture, and people believe that they know when somebody's lying and when they're not and, and the truth is people are about fifty percent accurate
0: It's actually quite they did a study on that on uh, lie to me and i think mentalist and maybe mm-hmm. monk and they found that people who watched it more tended to be less accurate in predicting somebody else's line
1: <laughs> is an actual that's study. not good that's <laughs> not good i mean particularly you think about say you're on the witness stand mm-hmm. and you're nervous everybody's sure. going to be nervous on the witness stand right and um i, I in Obviously, it's my job if I'm preparing you is to help you make it through that scenario in a way where you don't do something that's going to make you look like you're a liar or and and to be able to understand how to communicate to a jury and how what the jury's expectations are and that sort of thing because there's a lot of psychology that goes on when you're a witness but um, anyway so so in that clip, she exhibits all the behaviors that are deemed lying behavior so I don't know if she's lying or not but she doesn't look good in that clip. And the, the, what's so important about depositions is clips of depositions can be played for the jury. Right. So now she's captured on video. You throw you and they may prepare her for trial and she may do really, really well at trial. Um, because they go back and analyze her, her deposition and she's, she's a mess. They show that clip. The The opposition shows that clip to the jury at trial and they look, at that lying behavior and they're going to dismiss what she says. And they're just not going to believe her.
0: Do you do mock depositions then? where you get with a witness ahead of time and, and bring in, I guess, you know, a jerk or whatever, and just grill <laughs> them
1: in the office before they Or home. a
0: lawyer. Well, it's, I'm it's just, the same thing, right? I mean, why be I'm redundant? <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I, I actually have, I, I shouldn't say that because, uh, you know, any lawyer that watches this, that I know they're going to be offended.
0: <laughs> oh, Sure. If, if they no, can't they take lawyer jokes, I mean, every lawyer has more lawyer jokes than I can come up with.
1: Right? Yeah. No, we do that, and that's actually the reason why. The reason why I started putting clips up on YouTube is because one of the one of my favorite things to do, one of the thing the things that as a jury consultant, that gives me the most satisfaction and um, fulfillment, is working with witnesses. Mm-hmm. Before they testify for deposition or trial. So we do exactly what you outlined. I mean, any witness, if I ever work with a witness, I'm going to spend at the minimum six hours with them on the psychology of being a witness. How do you how do you deal with somebody who is aggressive, somebody who's accusing you of doing something that maybe you didn't do somebody who is demeaning you? Um, It's an adversarial setting. You can't even ask questions. How do you how do you manage that setting in a way where you you maintain your your confidence? You don't get trapped by all the rhetorical gamesmanship that the attorney on the other side is playing. How do you how do you identify those? How do you avoid falling for the traps, but still tell the truth in a way that's going to be effective at trial and it's not going to get you trapped by your own words? I mean, there's so much that goes on, there's so much psychology in, in being a witness that I I feel for anybody who has to testify that doesn't have somebody with a psychology background to help them through that scenario and give them the skill set and tools to manage it. Uh, Because they, they, I mean, lawyers are good at the law, but they're Mm. typically not people, um, people, (laughs) if that makes sense. No, 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 it does. My focus is that human being. What is that person dealing with? What are, what are the stressors, and how is this lawsuit affecting them? And and what's just beneath the surface that if you don't deal with that before they testify, it comes out anger or maybe fear, or fight confusion. Or uh,
0: confusion can look like somebody being deceitful too. If right, if they're coming at you and you're just like, um, yes. A no, I, if you don't understand, you may seem like you're tap dancing or lying, but you genuinely could be flabbergasted by a question like, what, what exactly are you asking me?
1: Right. And then you pause and you take a few seconds to try to figure out the answer. Then now the pause is de- deemed as lying behavior because you're making up a story or something like that. So that so when we when I work with a witness, in fact, I'm going to be working with somebody tomorrow. Um, we. We. We're doing it online now, which is odd. It's not as – it's it can be done, but it's just so important to kind of be there with the person. Sure. You just get so much more being in the room with that person. But so we spend a lot of time talking about – well, really trying to uncover what, what is it that's troubling that person about the lawsuit that could cause them to struggle to tell mm-hmm. the truth in an effective way. Resolve that stuff. We teach them how to communicate in the context of an adversarial setting, which is different than any other setting they've ever been in Actually, the rules all the rules that they're used to of language are flipped upside down So like for instance The lawyer asks them a question They respond with their answer and it's a truthful answer. Well, it doesn't help the lawyer who's who's deposing that person So the lawyer uses a, a, a cue that would normally mean there was something wrong with that answer like they, they might Respond with frustration or anger or sarcasm. So the witness thinks, "Oh no, I've screwed up. I better fix this, or I better backpedal, or I better rethink what I said, or maybe I better change my answer because this lawyer mm. seems frustrated." But that's a game that the lawyer is playing, but the witness doesn't get it. The witness thinks that's genuine confusion or genuine frustration or genuine, you know, or or he's sarcastic because the witness screwed up. So it's. There's a lot of teaching that goes on to help the witness understand, well, what are these communication cues actually mean? They're not what they mean in normal everyday communication. They're usually the opposite. So when you can get them to see the, the game for what it is, it, it reduces their anxiety and increases their confidence. Then they can just focus on telling the truth. So, so then, and, and then we do a lot of practice to your point. Uh, There's a long way of answering your question. You know, do you bring somebody in like a lawyer and and like a jerk and ask them a bunch of questions? Well, you train them and then you make them do it and you give them a rigorous question and answer as though it's the real deal in in the same format, the same types of question. And then my role at that point is to observe and from the juror's perspective and to, to help them understand from a jury psychology side, you know, are they doing Well, where they need to tweak and refine. And then we, we, we work on it and work on it and work on it. And a lot of it's just the delivery of the testimony as opposed to, well, I mean, the content is important, but man, the body language can really tell the story. Like I was talking about earlier, the jurors are so tuned into who's lying to me here. And I need to figure that out so I can solve this case. So in the jury context, the body language, the delivery of the testimony tells the story sometimes more so than the actual words. And so we spent a lot of time practicing. Now, it's not scripting. You know, a lot of people think, oh, you're prepared. You know, that person's prepared and they're scripted their testimony. We don't script. I don't script their testimony. There are
0: some who do. Right. And you got to be Th- careful. That does
1: happen. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> if they ask does. you this, you're going to say that. or Yeah, yeah. And I know that that's probably not only unethical, it's probably illegal, but I'm sure it yeah, happens I, sort I, of.
1: It does. It does happen. It it shouldn't happen. And so, you know, not being a lawyer, I don't know where the line is exactly. Because mm-hmm. obviously if if you're asking somebody questions and you want them to be truthful, you want that to be th- the best truth, the, the, the truth of what they know, not what we want them to know. Right. Sure. So, the, you know, I've seen some, I've seen some scripting. I don't like it for two reasons. One is, now we got way off on a tangent from Amber. We did. <laughs> That's fine. But one, two, two reasons. One is it's not genuine at that point. And one of the biggest things, one of the biggest turnoffs for witnesses for, for jurors, when they see a witness is if that person doesn't appear genuine, if it appears scripted or if it, if it appears canned or maybe, um, spin Mm. jurors hate that stuff. They hate it. They just want a truthful, genuine human being up there on that witness stand answering questions. So if you script it, It really messes with the witness because the witness feels like, oh, shoot, now I've got to memorize this script. Nobody can do that and have it come across as genuine. And then the other point is I I just don't think it's right to script somebody's testimony for them, right?
0: Right. I want to skip ahead, actually, because you had mentioned that they don't like it when people are doing things. Can we look at the killer cross-examination and play that (laughs) for a minute? Because – yeah, there's a point in there that I think the witness may do something that might rub people the wrong way too, as in telling the lawyer what their intentions are or trying to outsmart or outgame them. Do juries enjoy that when a witness tries to be smarter than the lawyer?
1: Um, the answer is no, and that was a bad answer, right? <laughs> That's a oh, so fabulous. Oh, we
0: got a video to substantiate yeah.
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me um. Let me grab that.
0: And I know this will be a little bit longer and roll we'll in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I might stop it a couple times or something and maybe we could jump back into it and not talk for so long. Uh, killer. Let's see. Deposition misconduct. No. Are you uh, talking about killer the killer cross? Oh, the killer cross. Okay. Um, Top here on, we go. Yeah. yeah, here we go.
2: So you have been around people who have used narcotics, haven't you? Yes. Um, and you've seen people who, in your experience, appear to be high, haven't you? Yes. Who appear to be under the influence of some kind of a drug or affected by some kind of a narcotic, haven't you? Yes. Can you look the jury in the eye and tell me whether or not you've taken any narcotics today? Prescription pills, anything of that sort, Xanax,
1: opiates?
0: They started out good, right? Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, well, he started out, well, his facial expression was weird, right? Right. I, there's something goofy. There's something going on with this kid, and I don't know exactly what. Uh, he's, he started off okay other than the weird facial expression. But did you see how the lawyer said, can you look that jury in the eye and tell them whether, you, you know, it's back to that lying thing, you know? He it's seemed like, well,
0: confused, too, because yeah. that was weird. How do you look a jury in the eye? That That's the kind of thing that I could see styming me up because I, I would almost want to say, one at a time, or the whole group?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, so the risk—the risk of that is—and I'll—I'll we'll, I'll, I'll roll the—I'll put the clip back on here in a second. But you asked the question: Do 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 jurors like when the witness does that sort of thing, like maybe argue back a little bit or tell the lawyer what he should or shouldn't do? They really don't like it. They right. they they expect that the lawyer is going to perform some sort of courtroom antics. They're going to maybe be a little rude or a little aggressive or a little sarcastic. They, they kind of expect it cause they've seen it on TV. Right. Sure. And they know that that's the lawyer's job is to advocate for his client um, as, as forcefully as possible. Right. And that he's got a bag of tricks and he's going to use them. They don't like witnesses to play that game. Mm-hmm. I hear that over and over and over again. When I interview jurors, they just get so frustrated when the witness seems to be either, arguing or debating or fighting or uncooperative or trying to get out of answering the question Um, because their time, you know, the juror's time is valuable. They don't want to sit around and watch some debate. They want to get the facts and they want to make their decision. So they get frustrated, not with the lawyer. Typically they get frustrated, frustrated with the witness. So like for instance, that question, can you you turn to the jury and tell them if you've what, what medication if you're on any medications, now or whatever. You, you just have to be polite. You have to say, sure, I'll, I'll, you know, you just say, sure. And you look to the jury and say, yeah, I'm on Xanax or, or whatever, I forgot whatever drug is. You, you just do it in a polite fashion, like you're not bothered by it or perturbed by it. It may be a goofy question, like, well, which juror am I supposed to look at right. or how do I look at the jury? But if you respond politely and professionally, if the lawyer gets aggressive with you and you remain that professional, polite, but firm witness, the lawyer starts to look bad. But if you start to raise to the lawyer's level and if you start to kind of, you know, he does this, you do that, and then you start to fight, the lawyer wins those exchanges and you lose no matter what you say. But if you stay calm, professional, like water off a duck's back is the way I like to describe it. No matter what the question is, you're you're calm, happy to answer it, willing to answer it, and you're just genuine. That goes so far in the jury um, – it's really about the, the jury giving you the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. and they like professional people. They like genuine people. They don't like this bickering stuff.
2: I have taken
1: prescription pills today. I've taken... When did you last take a prescription pill today?
2: Uh, this morning. What time? Um, I'd say around 9 o'clock. And what, what medication did you take this morning around 9 o'clock before you came to court? I took Vyvanse. Vyvanse. Vivance is an amphetamine? Yes. I'm Vivance is for ADHD? Yes. The behavior that the way that you're communicating, and I'm going to speak to you, try to speak softly and, and have a dialogue with you, okay? Okay. Um the way that you're communicating now, um, isn't this the way that you've seen people communicate in your own personal life who appear to be high or under the influence? Judge, I going not object to that. So She um, can ask him if he's high or under the influence, but ha- ask him. asking him to evaluate his... I, 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 don't, I don't understand the question. Okay. Uh, I don't understand how I could look at myself from a third-person view. So you... Well, first of all, so the, the prosecutor objected. Your Honor... Say the question
1: again. I didn't
2: understand. Yeah, sure. The way that you're communicating now... I mean, can you hear... I'll withdraw and I'll ask it differently. Can you...
1: Know. No, I'm not. Okay. This is the way that you normally communicate? So, so he asks a strange question about, you know, the way you're communicating. Is this the way that you've seen people who are high also communicate? It's yeah, it a weird sounded question. like he
0: wanted to qualify the witness in order to have the witness tell on himself if he's actually <laughs> high instead of just saying, are you high?
1: Right. It's a very bizarre question. And the, the attorney objects and then he, the witness gets a little bit frustrated and, and all he has to do really what he should have said is, I don't really understand your question. Mm. and then make the lawyer look that makes the lawyer look bad because the the jurors are thinking the same thing like what did that question mean but it but the witness he starts to get a little annoyed and frustrated and uh, I'll, i'll roll it again and he gets you know a little snippy with the lawyer and
0: the judge seemed confused too so he probably had it all going on his side if he just said i don't understand
1: Right. And just in a polite way, because the jury would be thinking the same thing and they'd be like, gosh, I'm glad I'm not that witness because what a weird question. <laughs> so you just you make the lawyer do the work. And it's, you know, witnesses don't realize a lot of times they think that they they need to argue or debate or fight. And again, hmm. it's, it's just back to if you don't understand the question, you just simply say, I'm not sure if I understood that question. Perfect. And then you sit patiently and you wait and the jury appreciates it. So we could put put them back on here. I don't normally communicate from a a stand in circuit court in a case involving an older man that threw parties with underage people providing drugs. I'm nervous.
2: If you're accusing me of being drugs, then you're doing a very bad job as an attorney. You should be
1: asking if you're actually going to help your client. Okay, next question. I appreciate that. And now I'm angry and I'm going to tremble my voice even more, not because I'm on drugs, but because I'm nervous okay. and you're intimidating. That's what you do.
2: Okay. It's
1: sure. not going to work. Okay.
2: Just answer, just answer the questions. And then That's my answer. Okay. Well, we'll, um, we'll get, just answer his questions and we'll get
1: you out of here. Okay. All right. Okay. Ahead. All right. So he he goes off the, ra- the witness goes off the rails a little bit. He's frustrated, <laughs> right? Sure. And he starts to kind of argue, you know, I'm not, you you know, this isn't how I normally communicate. I don't communicate in circuit court here on the witness stand. I'm nervous and now I'm angry and my voice is going to start to tremble, right? He's getting into an argument and into argument debate mode, right? which normally I have to say normally because sometimes it goes the other way. I mean, I don't know the history about that case and Mm -hmm. exactly what was going on prior to this cross-examination. The jury might have pity on this kid. He may be seen as a victim. I, I don't know. So there, there, it could be that the jury appreciates these answers because they may be, they're in his in his corner, maybe. But normally that kind of behavior on the witness stand sinks your credibility It and jurors, they just don't like it and they quit listening. And so, and once jurors tune out, it's over. You're done. It doesn't matter what you've said at all, your whole testimony. I've heard this so many times when I interview jurors, they'll say something like, Wow, when that when that witness changed his demeanor from direct exam to cross exam, I just threw the whole testimony out. I just didn't like it.
0: Mm, so, so everything like, then on it, you've already lost him.
1: It's gone, right? It's not a hundred percent. It's not a rule that holds true a hundred percent of the time. But it's it's the safest way to testify. You have got to play the odds, really. You've got to make sure that your witness is testifying in a way that, generally speaking, is going to garner juror trust and and, and make you likable and believable and so on. Um, I mean, there's there's been times where I've seen witnesses on the witness stand. And I, so I, I mentioned that I interview jurors all the time. So I'm thinking about a case not that long ago that I prepared one witness who was – a he was going to be a catastrophe. We spent four days with this guy, mm. got him ready. And he did really well. One guy, who, who incidentally I I had seen testify before. He was a CFO of this company, Mm -hmm. and it just just so happens that I I was involved in two trials that this guy had to testify in, the CFO. Mm -hmm. And I'd seen him before, and he's a little bit of a hothead, Mm -hmm. which is not typically good on the witness stand, right? So in this case, where I prepped this one guy for four days, and I did not prep the CFO and I advocated for it. I'm like, listen, I, if this guy's, the CFO is going to testify, I need to prepare him because he's got the tendency to get a little bit hot under the collar to get frustrated and to kind of snap back. So the trial happens, my guy that I prepared testified in. And at the end I called all the jurors and I, I had them rate the witnesses, you know, give them an A, a B, C, D or F. Mm-hmm. They gave my guy a B, which he would have been an F. Uh, and, and that's, that's not a brag, but I mean, he just, he, he was not ready, and he didn't have the skill set necessary to be able to communicate to a jury, and he got there. The CFO, they rated him as an A, Whoa. and he got snippy, and he was a little feisty, but I think what happened was he was genuine, and that's – and I think the jurors appreciated that. So hmm. I, I think that's the anomaly. I mean, so I if they agree,
0: call- it's like you can almost get away with if the jury is also annoyed. If maybe right. a little empathy factor.
1: I think so. If the, if they're on your side and if they agree with where you're coming from, then and if they're annoyed with the lawyer and the law and the case, if they kind of see that the case is maybe in their eyes a sham or maybe frivolous, then they'll allow witnesses to, to, to behave like that and they won't ding them for it. But normally normally it's not a safe bet to, 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 to get snippy or to get rude or to get feisty on the witness stand. It it, 90% of the time, 95% of the time it's going to cause problems and the jury's going to not like it, but sometimes it works, but I would never advocate for it because you never know when that time is and you got to, you got to play the odds and you got to, you got to get witnesses ready to be professional, to be confident, to exude, you know, this, this feeling of or the attitude of, I'm 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 okay being here, I've got no problem with your questions, and I'll answer any question you've got, J- go ahead, I'm ready. You know, but professional, you know?
0: Sure. Well, on that note, I'm going to advocate for something else. Okay? okay. You're familiar with the show, and you've even yeah. seen that I do a live stream. Yeah. I want to bring you back for a live stream where we can have some more fun, do more clips, and have the audience gather in.
1: Yeah, that'd be great.
0: And... In the interim, and I want to try to do that hopefully fairly soon, I'd like to throw some people at your channel because you've got some videos you've already done, like with Roger Stone melting down, with uh, Joe Exotic being <laughs> right. Joe Exotic or whatever he is, and <laughs> right. that's the Litigation IQ channel, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah, and if, if you don't mind me saying, saying something really quick here. So it, it's fairly new, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when you and I met, um, I was... Toying with the idea of of having a channel, I dabbled a little bit. I put a couple of clips up there just to see if there was any interest, you know, in just kind of the body language and demeanor. And I, the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, the skill set that's required to testify well and to manage the situation in trial or in a deposition is really important, not just for trial or for depositions or or, or testifying, but in so many scenarios in life. So I started to think, okay, this applies to everybody. Sure. Everybody's going to be confronted in, in, in life with challenging situations, difficult settings where they've got to keep their cool. They've got to demonstrate confidence. They've got to look competent and trusted. And so this, the skills really translate over. So I started making some videos, but I've been really busy. So there's only three, <laughs> there are only three videos up there now. So if people do go to the channel, there are more to come.
0: So folks,
1: make sure you subscribe. Yeah. Yeah. Subscribe and Right, and and there will be more to come. There's there's a bunch of individual clips with no commentary, and then there's three videos with commentary. So, um, but there will be more. Awesome. But thank goodness, I've been really busy with work. Which, when you're busy with work, it's hard to make uh, YouTube videos, <laughs> as you know.
0: Okay, and also, folks, go to litigationiq.com, and you can read write-ups on some of this material too, if you prefer consuming in that manner.
1: Right. Yep. Yep. I've got a blog up there and it I, I delve deeply into the communication strategies that lawyers use against witnesses and, and how it causes witnesses to really, really struggle to tell the truth. Um I it's fascinating to me because I, I live it and I breathe it. Um I, I think people would find it interesting.
0: Oh, it's definitely interesting. I mean that's why I have you on here. I recruited <laughs> him off of Reddit. But for now,
1: thank you very much.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out.
2: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Brett Allen, and I am the host of the Open Mic Podcast, where no topic is off limits.
0: Here at the Open Mic, we talk to many different people. We talk to celebrities, entrepreneurs, psychics, celebrities, and everything in between. I would like to encourage you to listen and subscribe. You can learn more about the show at theopenmicpodcast.net. Again, thank you so much.
2: Until next time, cheers and be well. What was that like? Might just be the most intriguing podcast you'll ever hear. Each episode is a conversation with a regular person who's been through an extremely unusual situation, like Jeremy, who was bitten by a rattlesnake, or Jennifer, who accidentally killed someone, or Luke, who got caught smuggling cocaine. Real people in unreal situations. Listen and subscribe at whatwasthatlike.com.